Are you or is someone close to you currently in the fight against cancer? That question applies to just about all of us. Some statistics say that one in two of us will get cancer at some point in our lifetime. I'm your host, Alex Maersperger. Today on the SAS Health Pulse podcast, we're diving in with a global leader known for his work in uncovering insights and delivering actions to get us to a healthier future. Joining us today is Richard Vonk, Vice President, Head of Oncology Statistics and Data Management at Bayer. Richard, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. I'm excited to be here. So I've, I've heard you speak before, and I've heard uh, part of your talk about your personal purpose is seeing cancer be a manageable disease within your lifetime. Where are we in that battle today? Yeah, Alex, a great question. Thank you. Um, ultimately, I, I would like to see cancer to be cured or even uh, be prevented. Um, that's, uh, that's a really hard task. Uh, cancer death rates have declined. Uh, over the last years, but there are still cancer types that uh, uh, where where the death rate uh, increases. So uh, I, I hope we can uh, come to a point where uh, where we can manage the disease. As you said, one in two people will be having cancer over their lifetime. Uh, but of course, if you if you look at, at at least the Western population, almost everyone will be affected by cancer in a certain point in time. Either they have cancer themselves or the close relatives will have cancer people around them will have cancer and um so so i think if we can make this disease manageable in some way yeah that would be a great step forward we're getting there you talk about the um data side of it there's been a huge increase in the volume and the diversity of data how is the way that you're working with data changing yeah, I think you're right, Alex. Uh, uh, originally, we've concentrated very much on uh, on clinical trials, getting the data from there. Um, but uh, we see more and more uh, very diverse uh, inputs of data, uh, wearables, for example, that uh, can help us uh, understand how a patient is really doing uh, real time. So I think that the um, that the way we get data. Uh, is changing. Uh, we, uh, we of course have partnerships. Uh, so we get uh, different uh, formats of data. We look at biomarker data, different formats again. Um, but I think that the availability of data, the speed of this availability and the way that we derive actions from the data will really be the, um, well, the, the determinant of, of the success of a drug development program, right? So uh, getting the data in, making sure that you can derive actions from the data that will make the real difference. That's the part that matters, right? Is the, the insight, but it also is, attached is, to is, the, yeah. the action. Yeah. So yeah. artificially, so the extent, oh, go ahead. The, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the extent of the availability is, is of course changing very rapidly. Right. And I think that, um, the, the, the speed of availability or the availability itself and again, the ability to derive actions from that, that will make the difference, right? And it's no use to just having the data. Um, we need to be able to uh, create an action based on that data. And that's the important part. What is artificial intelligence's role in this? AI is certainly having its uh, moment in the news. Is AI widely used in pharma today? And where might it be used even more in the future? 
Yeah, I think um, had you asked me this question like two years ago, I would say, nah, really not, not really. Uh, but now it's, it's slightly different, right? Uh, we see uh, a huge uh, uptake of AI in uh, in research, right? Uh, in detection of molecules, for example, and chemistry. Uh, we see a lot of AI in um, uh, in di- uh, diagnostics. Right? For example, uh, if you look at uh, detection of breast cancer, right? AI can detect breast cancer so much earlier than any doctor could be. And that helps us, of course, if you think about making this disease more manageable, right? The uh, This will be a combination of early detection and treatment and, and prevention, of course. Right? So we see AI getting, um, well, really important in that area. However, if you look at the development part, the part that I play a role in, right, I don't see uh, a lot going on there. But this is changing rapidly. We, we all hear about ChatGPT, uh, for example, uh, which is um, an NLP-based AI, for example. Right? And we need to think about how, how, are we, how are we going to use that in our, in our work. Right? And I think that uh, these AI uh, parts will significantly change the way we work and the, the tasks that we have the roles that we have in um, clinical development. Yeah, it's it's it will be easier to, um, for example, uh, program tables, right? The things that we need to do for for regulatory submissions, right? That uh, will be helpful, or or write submissions, right? And I think that these um, these tools can help with the operational aspects, not so much with the science expe- uh, aspects yet, but I may be mistaken in two years, right? I don't know. <laughs> That's the hard part about the future, right? Yeah. <laughs> difficult and <laughs> difficult to uh, to say. Yeah. I appreciate that. Managing and modeling across all of this diverse data and the, the different inputs coming in, what are your perspectives over the advantages and limitations of open source? Oh, that's a really difficult question. Um, uh, I know that uh, there are companies that are now... Uh, betting on open source much more than on co- commercial software. And I, uh, I look at it with, with great interest. Um, I, I think that there's several challenges. Um, if you look at commercial software, you need to have people that are trained to use this software. And if you look at uh, university, for example, when we get new people, very few people are trained in commercial software. People use R and Python. Right. And so the question is, okay, now they are coming into our company. What are they familiar with to use? Right. Uh, there's a lot of discussion also about the costs uh, of commercial versus open soft, uh, open source software. I, I don't see that to be a big differentiator. Right. Uh, of course, if you use commercial software, you have to pay for that. Uh, what I see in open source is that there are other costs that are a little bit more hidden. Right. So you need to take care of version control yourself, uh, validation of the software, et cetera. So there, there's, there's other costs that, um, that are incurred there. What I would like to see, if you think about the difference between open soft, open source software and, and commercial software is a little bit more, um, say, trust between uh, software providers and those using the software. So, I actually think that um, working with uh, solution providers, let's call them that, 
um, could be very, very helpful in our quest to cure cancer. They have a lot of experience in areas that I don't typically look at, right? And having an active exchange, exchange with um, software providers, with solution providers, can really help us move the needle. Um, for me, never, never mind where the solution comes from, it's open source or it's commercial, um, we, we need some tools to do, to do certain tasks, right? to do analysis, for example, or data management tasks, right? And I don't mind so much where it comes from. I think that the future is not open software or, or, um, or commercial software. It is the mix of it that counts. Really insightful. Appreciate that. Statistics has somewhat of a controversial reputation in some circles. So there's a great debate about the value of certain types of statistics. Bayesian, for example, I know is a, a hot topic in many circles. How about statisticians? Uh, and so those doing the work, how are they viewed and used in your organization? Yeah, I, 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 I'm always surprised when people say statistics is controversial, right? For me, it's uh, mathematics, right? So it's, uh, it should be controversial. Um, you've interviewed, I think, uh, Bruno Boulanger a while ago, right? He is a, he's a Bayesian and I know him very well. And I remember when we first met, he said, you will be a Bayesian. And I said, absolutely no way, <laughs> right? Um, but he was right in a way. So for me, the different, you know, statistical methods, are methods to answer questions, to calculate risks in, in a drug development program. And sometimes this is uh, in a frequentist way, sometimes this is in a Bayesian way. I don't mind so much. So uh, a lot of the discussions are in um, in the statistics area, right, uh, between statisticians. I, I don't think that there's a lot of discussion outside of that area about the methodology. That's the uh, main, main thing is that, that we get uh, answers to our question. Now, with respect to statisticians, um, a delicate question. Um, it, over time, I think uh, pharma has realized that people doing statistics are as important as the as the statistics itself, right? Uh, so we are moving away from the uh, writing protocols, SAPs, and doing basically um, tables, distance, and figures for a, for a. Um, a specific study, uh, we are now integrated much more also in the strategic discussions. We see this at Bayer as well. So we are part, of course, at, uh, we are part um, of the uh, project teams, right? Uh, and then and there's, there's an increasing ask for strategic input. So what are we going to do next? What are the next steps? How would that pan out? That circles back to the data again, right? So if you look at why we use data, um, the data is typically used for submissions, right? So we try to get a drug developed, we show that it works, that it's safe, and then we submit it to the authorities. But now, using the methods that are available to us, we can also start thinking about, you know, what does that, what, what happened in this study? What does that have, um, what are the consequences of this for our project, for the drug, or for our portfolio even? Right. Uh, we can start thinking about simulating clinical trials. So, so what is going to happen to these patients? Right? And this requires uh, a lot of data that is again available in a timely manner. Right? And I think that statisticians are 
the right people to manage that, to, to see, okay, what can we do with the data and what, what is it that we can't do with the data? So to me, if I say, well, ultimately, what does a statistician do? It's we, we, we calculate the risks. Yeah, we assess the risks of a portfolio, the risks of a, of a study, a, a risk of, you know, a false positive, if you want. We assess the risk. That's what we help you with. I enjoyed that because it sounds like statisticians aren't just an input to the strategy, but are driving the strategy. And I think that's a, a yeah. big differentiator in many organizations of how they view yeah, statistics. Together with, together, of course, with, with the rest of the team, right? So with the clinicians who ask the questions, with programmers, with data managers who make sure that we get the data in the right quality. Um, Basically, with a lot of people, a lot of people are involved in drug developments. It's not only the statisticians, right? But I, I think they're a vital part of the of the team. Yes, there's a lot of promise throughout that sort of life cycle of automation that it's going to free up time. And so, if resources can be deployed where you may not have had them before, potentially it gives more time to learn from the data that you do have, either that you already have or that you will have in the future. Do you yeah. see opportunity in that automation side freeing up resources? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's this uh, ambiguity almost, right, between industrialization of work, right, the ultimate uh, automation of, say, uh, certain tasks, uh, creating tables and listings and figures for clinical study reports, for example, and uh, the, the requirement that we work in a more agile way. Right. And I think that if we can automate certain tasks, we have more time to look at the real science. Right. Uh, so it's, it's no, at the end of a study, we have to do a lot. Right. So, so people are, are really busy with creating, uh, the, the tables and figures and, and writing reports. It's very little time to really dive into the data to see what happened really in the study. And I think if we, if we have more time to do that, we can say, okay, so now we have this study and hopefully it's positive. So the drug works. What were the drivers of the responses? What were the drivers of, um, what happened to these patients? Are there subgroups of patients that, uh, work? That were for, for, for whom the drug worked better or, or even are there subgroups of patients that shouldn't be getting this drug? And I think that if we have more time to do that, if we free up time, we can be much more, um, consequential even in, in the work that we're doing. So that's, I, I think the, uh, the big advantage, but we have to be careful, right? To me, it's like an 80, 20 approach, right? 80% doing things basically in an industrial way and then, uh, 20% um, doing ad hoc work and seeing, you know, what, what, where is it that we look, need to look next? Yeah. It sounds like there's some uh, opportunity on the AI side, on the automation side, on the elevating yeah. statisticians to be driving and, and working alongside the strategy side. Absolutely. Because there are some real challenges that exist in just the health world yeah. today. Uh, there's an aging population, an aging world. Um, in many cases, we're getting sicker or we're living with even more sickness. Uh, there's global global travel. We have such an interconnected world. And so we're maybe spreading disease a little faster or different diseases that are showing up in different places. 
So we're definitely seeing the need for faster, better, cheaper drugs across perhaps even a wider range of diseases. What's it going to take to get that done consistently? Yeah, that's it, this question has a huge geopolitical aspect, and I will leave I'll, I will leave it to others to answer that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll stick to the statistics. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that if we are, would be able to share data in an easier way, you know, have access to more data, um, yeah, with without violating you know, um, data privacy. Of course, right? But if we can find ways to collaborate better, to share data, to develop new methods based on data, I think that's what it's going to take to move faster, right? It's all about the data that we get. Well, it sounds like Bruno may have got you on the the Bayesian side after all. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm still not a Bayesian. <laughs> I would say I really like my Bruno, but I do think that, uh, that some of the question call for a Bayesian approach, right? Um, so to me, it's just taking from the, the toolbox that we have, from the methodology that we have, from the knowledge that we have, um, take the right tools to answer the right question. Right. And that's, I think that is what it's all about. Not, not about being a Bayesian or frequentist. Right? There's a place for everything. Love that insight and really appreciate your <laughs> thoughtful approach to elevating the role of statistics and statisticians and love that you brought it back to the people. It's really the people who are interfacing with technology. And like you said, using the right tool for the right question um, to be able to drive a healthier future. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So we've heard about AI, we've heard about automation, we've heard about statistics and the differing forms of it and how that can help drive everything from drug discovery to automating parts of the, the drug discovery life cycle to development and production. So stay tuned as we continue to tackle some of healthcare and life sciences biggest challenges together. We'd love to hear the ways that you're driving a healthier future. So leave a comment on YouTube down below or reach out to us, the Health Pulse Podcast at sas.com. We're rooting for you always.